In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey guys, this is Jim Ramos with Men in the Arena. What you're about to listen to is a message I gave to a local gathering of men. I thought you might like to listen to this even if you weren't at the actual event. And so I hope you enjoy this bonus episode on the Men in the Arena podcast. Uh, I'm really excited about this series because uh, I think I might be in this category. I, might, I think I might be an OG. I'd like to say I'm transitioning, but uh, this is a, a great... Uh, a series. And I got to tell you, when I got saved, I got saved from a family that did not know the Lord. I was from a non-Christian family. And I married a woman who was from a non-Christian family. And we did not have a clue how to love Jesus as a couple. And then we were in full-time ministry. We were even more clueless. And I remember we went from, we transitioned from Youth for Christ and Campus Life as full-time area directors into this Nazarene church that I was I was a coach of the pastor's kid, and we went in. It was a weird thing. We didn't want to go to this church, and we didn't like the church, but we ended up in this Nazarene church. And I remember sitting there going, I don't know how to be a church guy. I, I, don't, know what, how to, I don't know how to read a hymn book. I, I don't know anything about church. And I'm a pastor now, this youth pastor. And I remember this church had three retired pastors, and one of them was Gordon Gibson. Gordon Gibson was a five foot six, stocky, uh, ex. A, a Philippines missionary in the Church of the Nazarene. And I'm going to tell you something. You church on the hill people, it is not Nazarene church. Gordon Gibson said it is the Church of the Nazarene, and if they wanted it to be called the Nazarene church, they would have named it that. Yes, Gordon. And he always had these super, he had those darkening, those room darkening lenses, and they were always dark. Like, I mean, it, we live in California. It never, there's always sun, and he always had dark glasses inside and outside, and he never smiled. And so I would go to Gordon, and I would ask him questions, because I had no idea. You know, Nazarene Church in the 90s didn't go to movies, didn't listen to secular music, didn't have any alcohol, period, not allowed at all, didn't talk to people who had alcohol, didn't dance, and didn't go to movies. I mean, it was really, really strict, right? So we're coming into this, and they're saying, they're starting to say, godly dancing is okay, and so, which made me fine, because I can sing Rapper's Delight by heart. All 15 minutes. So I made, you know, I like to do my little, you know, hit shuffle thing. Uh, but I, so I remember going to Gordon because I was really torn up over a deep theological issue. Can you drink coffee? I was really struggling with that. So I went to Gordon Gibson, 30 year old guy, 30 years older than me, retired missionary to the Philippines. I said, Gordon, i got to ask you a question. I'm really scared right now because I'm thinking this is a salvation issue for me almost. And so I said, Gordon, can you, is it okay? Because I, I want to please people, right? Is it okay to drink coffee? And Gordon got real serious. 
And he looked out at me with his darkened glasses in 80-degree weather. And he goes, I don't know if you guys know this from Church on the Hill, but there's, an, or there's a magazine that comes out every month in the Nazarene, the Church of the Nazarene called the Herald of Holiness. Have you guys heard of this? It's a, weekly, it's a monthly magazine all about the Church of the Nazarene. And Gordon looked at me and he said, without a smile, he goes, I'm going to tell you something. Every month in the Herald of Holiness, there is a list of everybody in the denomination who has stopped drinking coffee. And I backed up and I went, really? And he goes, the obituary. <laughs> I was like, there is a Jesus. So thank you, Lord, you know, type of thing. But, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, guys like Gordon Gibson taught, taught me how to be a good churchman. And he was, I was 28 and he was 38, 48, 58. He's like my age now. He was so old, you know. And I think of Gary McCusker who led me to the Lord in 1984. And he's now my vice president and he's 10 years older than me. I think of Daryl Jansen who hired me in my first youth ministry job as a 23-year-old kid and took a chance on me. And he's now 77. He came to our 10-year anniversary banquet last year. I think of Mike Goins back there in the room. Mike is one of my heroes. He's 77 now, Mike. Mike, 77. Mike uh, shows up late during the winter to Wednesday nights because he goes, well, he goes snow skiing every Wednesday. He rides hundreds of miles on his road bike during the summertime. He is, uh, he is one of the, he's probably one of the greatest men I've ever met. And so he's our board chairman. And so I will go to Mike as a 57 year old man and say, Hey Mike, you know, what do you think about this? Right. And so for me, leaning heavily on the older guys has been a go-to. And I think that the reason that the church in America is, is suffering and anonymous today in this culture is because that older men have backed off and because we have backed off from older men. It's a two-way street. And man, the older dudes are critical. So this morning or this evening, we're going to look in Titus chapter 2, verse 2. We're going to be in the same verse for six weeks. We are going to stay in the same verse for six weeks we're going to take one word at a time and we're going to unpack what Titus is saying, what Titus is being told by the Apostle Paul on the very, very young church on the island of Crete. This is a very young church, not a lot of older dudes in this church, brand new Christians, young church. So here's Paul. So I'm going to pray as you guys turn to Titus 2.2. Father, we thank you for tonight, God. We just give you our praise. We give you our lives. And God, I've wrestled with this, uh, wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. And so God, as I give my best play tonight, pray that you would move me out of the way, that your Holy Spirit would speak. And God, that you would help us as older dudes to set godly examples for the younger guys on purpose. And you would help the younger dudes in the room, which I know that's relative. But Lord, that we would look to the older guys for wisdom, for insight, for encouraging, for a free cup of coffee. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Titus chapter 2, we're going to get to that free cup of coffee later, Phil. So Titus chapter 2, verse 2 says, Older men are to be temperate, one, dignified, two, sensible, three, sound in faith, four, sound in love, five, and sound in perseverance, six. Those will be the topics for the next six weeks. Tonight I want to talk to you about this word that's mentioned only three times in the Bible. It's the word temperate. It's only mentioned three times in the Bible, and every time it's mentioned, it's in the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 
And so I want to, and then also as, <laughs> as we go into this, this word is also one of the 20 words mentioned in this book I wrote called The Full Capacity Man. And on March 16th of last year, I spoke to you about this exact same word. Does anybody have any idea what that word was back then? Okay, good. <laughs> it's not the same sermon, but I was a little bit nervous. King James Version translates this word in the Bible as vigilant. Remember this? Vigilant. It's being hyper aware of your surroundings. It's not allowing anything into your life that would dull your senses. But in the context of this passage, speaking to old men, this phrase, I think, means something slightly, I think it means something slightly different. I'm going to tell you what I think that means tonight. But I will tell you, there is a tension when we think about older men. Whenever I say something like older men, I, I look at like my buddy Bob, who, congratulations, you just became a board member, I heard. I saw it online. Congratulations. He seems really excited, doesn't he? <laughs> when I talk to the older, say older men, all the older guys that are older than me kind of go, ugh, ugh, you know, oh, there, there's a tension, right? There's a tension because older is really subjective. It's relative. Uh, it's, it's relative. It's like when I was a young little kid, anybody who was my parents' age, 34, 35, was old, right? So in a lot of ways, it's a relative word, but it is and that, it makes it subjective, but it is also an objective word. It is a word that actually, at some point, guys, we have to say, you know, I can get the senior citizen's discount at Sherry's because I am 55. At some point, we have to say, man, I keep getting invited to the old people's group at my church. So, so the Greek word that he uses for older men is the word presbutus, presbutus. And it literally means older men. <laughs> Chronologically older men. This word is used two times in the Bible. The first time is in Philemon, or Luke chapter 1, verse 18, when Zacchaeus, or Zacharias is being visited by an angel because his wife is going to become impregnated with what, who will be called John the Baptist. And in Luke 1.18, Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know for this is certain? For I am an old man, presbutus, and my wife is advanced in years. Paul uses the word of himself. Paul, when he uses this word, he's in his 60s. Paul says in Philemon 9, there's only one chapter in Philemon, so verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, the presbutus, the older dude. You know, in ancient Greek literature, this word talked about anybody who was in their 50s. Paul is in his 60s. So I would say in our society, if we're in our 50s or 60s, it is safe to say, lad, sorry to hear it, but we're old guys now. We walk around with boots on our ankles for no reason at all, right? Because we're older guys. And so there is this thing, you know, so I, uh, last weekend, two weekends ago, I was in California. One of my old youth workers passed away. He died of a stroke. He was one month away from 80. When he came to me to join our youth ministry team, he was an old guy. He was 60. And I remember looking at this old guy, because at the time I was 35, going, I, how can an old guy relate to teenagers? You know, at his funeral, he had six students travel just to go to his funeral 25 years later. And he, in his little small group that happened in our little youth group, there, he produced missionaries, 
church board members and Isaac's wife, who is a pastor now, he produced all, and these people came down to bear witness of this guy's life. I remember sitting in these staff meetings as a young 35-year-old dude, 30, early 30s, and I would kind of tell him my vision, all these things, and I'd always look at Gary. And he was six foot six, strawberry blonde hair with a big, he looked like Santa Claus, big beard, surfer. He was a local postman, but he looked more like a, a surfer, like he, just this giant surfer. And he just sat there real quiet. And when Gary spoke, I did it. Because he didn't speak often, but when he spoke, I did it. And when he died, I got on a plane and traveled down to honor a life that was well lived, that, that helped me as a young guy in ministry to partner with an older guy in ministry so I would have the wisdom that was associated with his experience as a man of God. Let's go back to Titus chapter 2, verse 2, and let's look at this. So it says, older men are to be temperate. Now, if you look in the Merriam-Webster's dictionary, temperate is, now listen to the de de definition here, having a moderate climate, which especially lacks extremes, in temperature found in or associated with a moderate climate. So it's moderate, not on the extremes in, in, regarding weather. Regarding people, here's the definition. Marked by moderation such as keeping or holding within limits, not extreme or excessive. So are you getting a picture here? So moderate is a descriptive word describing this. The Greek word is nephalios. Nephalios, whenever it is used, I know this is kind of technical, whenever the Greek word nephalios is used, it is usually associated with um, drugs and alcohol. Right, so it's a, there's a Greek word paranoios, which is, means beside wine, and so whenever that word is used, it says don't, don't be drunk with wine, it's used in conjunction with nephalios. In other words, in other words, nephalios is always a word that is associated with having a stable mind, a clear mind. Does this make sense? So when we look at older men in the context here, we know it can't just be something that's uh, related to substances, but it has to be something beyond that. And I believe what Paul is saying, older dudes need to be stable. They need to be stable guys that the younger guys can look, look up to. Here's what this word means. It, the word used for temperate is the adjective nephalios. It carries the root idea of being free from intoxicating effects of a substance. It is used metaphorically for someone who is moderate. A temperate person avoids extravagance and overindulgence. So that's what we're talking about here. The other two times this word is used is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, or nephalios. 1 Timothy 3.11, women likewise must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate. So here's a guy that I think models this really well. This guy at the age of 83, at the age of 83, he had traveled 250,000 miles on a horse. He had written over 200 books and pamphlets. He had preached over 40,000, do the math guys, sermons. He had planted a denomination. At 83, he confessed that he can, after 15 hours of writing and reading, 
he couldn't read or write anymore after 15 hours. And at 86 years old, he confessed that he couldn't sleep in as much anymore and he slept, he, or he couldn't get up as early anymore and he, he confessed to getting up sometimes as late as 5.30 in the morning. And that guy's John Wesley. He stood at a whopping five foot two, 122 pounds. But that's a guy that we look at and we can go, okay, this is a guy who had this thing a guy that people have been looking towards and looking after for, you know, he, 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 he died in the 1700s. So temperate. So when I think of temperate in this context, this is what I want to get to tonight. When I think of temperate in this context, when I think of this st stable man, a, a man, an older man who demonstrates stability in his life, I think of a man who is not erratic emotionally, not overindulgent materialistically or extreme. Instead, he is steady, stable, and emotionally balanced. Older guys live by the phrase, work smarter, not harder. Right? That's what we're talking about here. I love what John MacArthur said. He said, the temperate older man is able to discern more clearly which things are of greatest importance and value. He uses his time, his money, and his energy more carefully and selectively than when he was younger and less mature. His priorities are in the right order, and he is satisfied with fewer and simpler things. And so in John, Job chapter 12, verse 12, we read that wisdom is with aged men with long life is understanding. And then in Proverbs 16:31, a gray head is the crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. So when I was a youth pastor in California, every year we would go down to uh, this little town. They didn't have much in the town except Magic Mountain, Six Flags Magic Mountain. And I remember one day we hit it right after a rain. And in California, when it rains, everything, they just freak out. Everything shuts down. So we get down there right after the rain. There's nobody in the park. My favorite ride in Magic Mountain at the time was this ride called the Viper. This ride was insane. And I just, we, we, we rode in the front. We rode in the back. We just, there was no line. We just kind of kept going back and through. And we realized this best spot to be, you only fit two people in the front because it was such a gnarly ride. You get in the front, and you go up this hill, and the ride is just up and down and crazy. But I remember, this is 27, 28 years ago, I remember getting, there's a high school kid. I remember getting out of the ride like 20 times that day, and I heard the same phrase over and over again. Push down, pull up, thank you for riding the Viper. And this guy was having fun with it. Push down, pull up, thank you for riding the Viper. And every time I got off the, the Viper, he would be something different. Push down, pull up, thank you for riding the Viper. And every time, over and over and over again, dozens of times. And this ride, I just loved this ride because it was so erratic and so unstable and so fresh every time, depending on where you sat. And I thought... It's even though this is an amazing ride when it comes to a human being that's like this, it's disturbing. <laughs> this kind of person can be manipulative. They can be a volcano that you never know when they're going to erupt. This can be a very damaging person when you have this guy or gal in your, well, say guy, we're talking about old guys, in your life. You never really know what kind of ride you're going to be on. And it is an erratic, unstable, emotionally disturbing ride. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, this guy is not like that. This guy is balanced. I always tell guys, tell your wife and your kids you love them so much so you become boring. 
They just, my kids now, it's so funny, my adult children, I'll talk to them on the phone, like I talk to them all the time on the phone, talk to my middle son today, and I'll just test them sometimes. I'll say goodbye, I won't say I love you. Just say it, just goodbye, love you dad, every time, because I've trained them to be boring, right? Stable, knowing what to expect. There's, there's something, something very comforting in having a man in your life like Gordon Gibson, who I know exactly what he's gonna say every time. Because he's stable, he stands for something, he's solid. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we see a picture of Jesus uh, going from a child to an adult. And there's a phrase that I want to share with you really briefly, and we're going to get into small groups. It says, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. So when I think of this thing called emotional or stability, I think of four major categories, right? The first one is wisdom. So Jesus grew mentally. He was mentally, and I'm going to put emotionally, mentally, emotionally stable. Overall, this represents, in older men, it represents a life that is emotionally and mentally stable. A life that has made good choices. A life that has made, got into a certain level and maintained its course. I like to highlight Chris Hancock, because Chris Hancock was not emotionally or mentally stable. And he got over his addiction, and now he's like magnum. He's just a magnum guy because he's hit a point now where you don't really worry about it anymore, do you? You've stopped doing this now. You're this guy now. And look at your table. It's full because they know you're not like this. They know what they're going to expect. And that's what we're talking about. I know Jack Bibb. I look around the circle room. I see guys all over the place like that. You've gotten to a point where you've got your past kind of behind you a little bit and you've stabilized. And, and guys around you know what they're going to get. And that's comforting because you are a man of wisdom. You're mentally and emotionally stable. Next one, it says Jesus grew in stature. He physically grew stable. Now, this is tough in America. I mean, I got screamed at for 30 minutes tonight by this 40-year-old strawberry blonde lady that used the word M-effer about 10 times in my, my, my Peloton class. And I'm like, man, this is really ticking me off. I didn't know who this gal was. I'm like, what is going on here? But I'm on this stupid Peloton sweating like a pig because I realize that this body needs to be cared for because what happened, what's happening now is I'm dying. Yeah, my hair's getting grayer. My, my head is in recession. My waist is in inflation. I'm dying. I'm dying. And so I've got to fight to stay healthy, right? And so we look at this physical stature, this physically stable. We're talking about somebody who's not dependent on mind or mood-altering substances, a person who's a good steward of their body and remains active, right? That, right? Is that you younger guys? When you want to go have a coffee with an older guy and ask him about how to live life, what do you want to look at? I mean, what do you want? You want a guy who just really doesn't care anymore about just let himself go? Or somebody who's fighting to stay in the game, right? You want that. And I'm not saying you got to look like some, you know, triathlete. I'm just saying that guys are staying healthy. Like Mike Goins, if you put me and Mike in a room, now Mike was on a wrestling team in Whitworth, but I'm pretty sure I could take him. He's had bladder cancer. He's had heart surgery. He's had all sorts. I'm pretty sure I could take him, right? But, but he's physically insanely fit, he, real, right? So that I respect that. Does that make sense? So somebody who maintains that. So then it says here, favor with God. So somebody who is spiritually stable. 
I mean, if I'm going to go to somebody who's spiritually stable, I'm going to talk to a guy like Barry or, or, or Rick or, or John. I meet with John every week. I was just meeting with him today. And I want to be around men who are spiritually stable so I can glean biblical truth from them and example in how I can better my life. I had lunch with uh, John Kent today, you know, and the same thing, getting around spiritually stable guys because I don't need an erratic spiritual dude in this world. This world's erratic enough, amen? I need stable dudes, stable guys that got it figured out with Jesus. I mean, we don't have it figured out with Jesus. It's like, it's kind of like being married to your, my wife. Like, you never really have it figured out. The moment you think you do, you don't. But it's, it's, you know, the stability of saying, I'm all in, Jesus, and I'm going to be all in for the day I die. Lastly, favor with men. This is a guy who is relationally stable. And this is a guy who, and Isaac spoke about this a couple weeks ago on respect, has a good reputation in his community. He has a good reputation with his debtors. In other words, he's financially stable. He has a good reputation in his social circles. I mean, I got up this morning. I told you I'd be there. I went down and watched the Linfield guys having practice. They practice at 6 in the morning for spring ball. It's It's insane. But I'm like, okay, I want to be on that field. And so after three years now, I can walk out there now. And Coach Smith goes, hey, go wherever you want. So I'm kind of getting more and more free reign because, and that's important, right? It's, it's them saying, we don't really know a lot about you, but we trust you now because there's a stability there, right? So this is what we're talking about. Wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. And so the strong, I'm going to end with this thing. So you younger guys, again, younger is relative. Like I'm a younger guy to some of you. Right? So young guy, here's the rule. Now I made this rule up. So this is, I made this rule up, but it's a rule now. Okay, so listen, okay. Here it is. Younger guys, look around the room at a guy who's older than you, who you could respect. Maybe they're not in the room tonight. And I want to encourage you to start having coffee meetings with some of these guys. There is gold in this room. Gold in this room. Gold in this room. Do not neglect the gold in this room. There are, there's gold in them that are pews, right? And so here's the rule I made up. It's called the OG rule. Whenever a younger guy asks you to hang out or you ask a younger guy to hang out, doesn't matter how much money the younger guy has, the old guy always pays. I'm incentivizing this sucker. Did I pay? Did I pay when we had dinner? I paid, right? Because it was the OG rule. So I want to encourage you guys under the OG rule to talk to some guys you respect and just go, hey, can we go have coffee? It's cool because you know they're going to have to pay now. <laughs> I've just put the ball on the tee for you. So Gabe's back there going, Ramos, want to go to dinner? Let's go. Let's go to Barbary or someplace expensive, right? Okay. So, hey, so I just want to, I just want to close with Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. So I do want to encourage you guys, man, to find that OG guy out there that is a guy that you respect. Just go, hey, man, can you buy me coffee or lunch or if they, you know, maybe dinner? You know what I mean? So I want to encourage you guys to do that. So this is going to be a fun journey the next six weeks together, but I'm excited.
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.